Good morning. Happy summer. For those of you guys that uh, survived the heat wave, that was that was crazy. We do not we don't have air conditioning, so I know. So hey, I heard you guys are in a series. What was the series again? Okay, we're not doing that because John. <laughs> John said, uh, he said, come and do whatever you want. I know he was going to bring in some high-powered evangelists, but, you know, he was concerned that maybe it may be too heavy for the summer. And then he was going to bring in a comedian, but it cost too much. And then he's like, Glenn, what are you doing? I said, okay, yeah, I'm in. So it is, Aaron, it is not really um, too surprising, a friend of John. So uh, I met John several years back. I'm trying to really remember. But John, for me, was like this, uh, he was like an online uh, YouTube star. So I don't know how long you've known John, but back in the day, he did this YouTube marketing uh, to really grow the church, and he was fairly new here at the church, and so he did these cool, you know, YouTube things, and that's actually where I saw him, and I started watching him, and I laughed, and I thought, oh, that's too funny. I found out he's local, and so I just reached out to this famous YouTuber, you know, because he had, well, no, really, come on, he had dozens of views, dozens, you know, and that's, that's a lot back in the day, so... Anyways, I, we, I connect with him, and I know it, it really was. It's, a very, it's like one of the strangest first, first dates we've ever had, you know. So I end up getting to lunch with him, and we have just been friends ever since. But I got to tell you about your pastor. Um, he's been there for me as a friend, and we have had conversations over the years, and we have prayed for each other. And uh, that is just, that, really, that's just amazing. You know, we don't belong to the same denomination. I don't know, make up a denomination, I'm from that denomination. But he, you know, we, anyways, it was, a, it was just great to connect with him because he's real, right? If you found out, if you found out that he's just authentic and he's just real, and that's what I love about him. And he always brags about the church, and he's done such a great work here. And so, anyways, that's why I'm here. Okay, so it's summer, and I did, I, it's a really bad motor. I told my wife this morning that my wife is right here. Her name is Robin Garvin. She's here. She is this... Uh, She's just, uh, she's amazing at everything. She's amazing at everything, really, working with adults who work with kids, because she used to work directly with kids, but we found out when you work with adults who work with kids, you just get a lot more done. And so, does that make sense? So she really works with leaders, and she still works with kids. She just got back from uh, back-to-back camp, so she just got back from a camp with like 500 kids running all over, and I told her that was scary. That's just intimidating. You have 500 kids in this kid's camp. That is just, that's scary for me. Anybody else? Okay, and so she's, uh, she, she's a ventriloquist, and I don't want you to have any sampling of her at all because you would not want to listen to me, so uh, she blew her voice out at camp because she was so excited. She's got puppets, and she gets very enthusiastic, and she blew her voice out. That's camp, right? You, you blow your voice out at camp, and so that's Robin, and I told her this morning, it's like, I have a really bad motive for being here. I just want you guys to have fun, so I, you know, can you do that? Can we? There is a point. But I, I do want you to have fun. All right. So uh, John said, I've got an hour. I've got my clock all dialed in. So, it's, oh, it's, oh, that was not, not an hour? Okay, look, today, today only, you got a 50% off coupon. So here we go. So I, I, was, uh, I was raised in the 60s. And uh, I, I really can't tell you a lot about the 60s because I was a kid. And so I, about the same time that Neil Armstrong planted the first footsteps on the moon, I was going to grade school. I was in school, raised, uh, born and raised in Long Beach. I was in uh, Long Beach. And uh, I was in class. And I'm a little boy, so I'm probably, I don't know, eight years old. 
And I'm in class, and I'm not really listening to the teacher. So I don't know what grade this would be. I'm thinking maybe third grade or so, but I'm not listening to the teacher because as she is teaching, I am dream doodling. I am drawing. How many of you did this when you were younger? You know, you're, and I kind of find out that's really a productive thing to do, isn't it? But I didn't know that, and so I was constantly getting in trouble because I was drawing little diagrams, and on these diagrams, I am usually rescuing the cute girl in the front of the class, <laughs> right? Her name is Julie. And she smiled at me, and so I thought that was the most amazing thing ever. And so she gets into my diagrams. I'm rescuing her somehow. And if that didn't work, it was a co-op mission with a buddy of mine, and we're rescuing one of the cute little third graders in the back. Her name is Heather, and she's back there, and and I'm trying to... uh, But I'm always drawing these scenes about being a hero, about rescuing somebody. Because I just love the stories of uh, heroes. And uh, I don't know, have you noticed that genre is just big right now? It's like, it's just huge. You know, with all the movies that are out and all of these heroic things, you guys go, do you do movies? Okay, because I wasn't raised in the church, so I don't want to make anybody sin right here, but there's a lot of cool movies out about heroes. They're fairly clean. They don't even have blood, so you can go see some of these movies. So I just loved heroic stories. And what I love about heroic stories is, you know, it's just a drama. Uh, and um, where was I? Where's Keith this morning? I think I was talking to Keith. Like, the church has got a lot of drama, but that's bad drama. So we, I, I like the good drama. There's Keith. Like, I like the good drama. The drama where you, do you realize that every heroic scene, every heroic story's got this massive drama, right? If you didn't have it, it just wouldn't be any fun. You know, you've got, I don't know the professional names of protagonists and antagonists. Is that somewhere in the, in the vicinity? You got heroic scenes going on, and I just love the intense drama. And um, one of the stories I picked up, just kind of a heroic story, is uh, by a game. Is it up there? You can see, go to the next slide there. Oh, that's where I went to school, Grant Elementary. That was where I did the dream doodling. Okay, keep going here. Yeah, so I want to talk about Wesley. So this is, this is an old story, but I just love it so much. So Wesley's standing on the, uh, uh, on the subway tracks, and uh, I think it's in New York, actually. So he's on the, or maybe Chicago. He's standing on the tracks, and he's, as he's standing there, the guy next to him has a seizure. And he has a seizure, and he falls onto the subway tracks. And in just split-second decisions, Wesley decides to jump down. I used to jump, but that kind of hurts. He decides to jump (laughs) down on the tracks. This this is real. The train is coming down the tracks. Wesley realizes he's not going to be able to get this guy off of the tracks and up onto the platform. So what does he do? Wesley covers his body with his own body. And as he does, he lays on top of him, keeping him safe, and the train goes over both of these guys and comes to a stop. I mean, what in the world? Now, I don't, I don't get any free advertising or this, but I listen sometimes to a radio broadcast, a podcast called Radio Lab. You can go to Radio Lab and look up Radio Lab Hero, and you can hear Wesley's whole story because they, uh, they broadcast it because I tell the story so much. No, I'm just, just kidding. <laughs> But I thought, what in the world? Now, what, what is really even amazing is that uh, Wesley's two daughters were standing on the tracks with him, really close to that age, when dad jumped off of the track, uh, off the platform and then on the track. And, and when the train came over, the only thing he could hear was his girls screaming, daddy, 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 because they were terrified that that their dad had just jumped to his death. 
And from underneath the train, Wesley cries out, Daddy's okay. Daddy's okay. And he crawls out from under the train, and he climbs up onto the platform. He saves this guy's life. But what in the world are his two daughters thinking? That, that their dad just did this heroic act and saved a guy's life. I mean, there, there are modern-day heroes. There are modern-day stories that are happening all around us. And I just love them. My favorite heroic story is in the Bible. And I'll give you like three guesses and two of them don't count. Uh, you know, what's my, my favorite heroic story in the entire Bible? How many of you want to guess what that might be? There you go. Winner. Who's that? Who's that? Get that guy a Starbucks card. I don't know. <laughs> Heather, can you do that? Oh, this is your last Sunday, so I don't know if you can be able to do that. Get him a Starbucks card. Yes, David and Goliath. I mean, it's right there. First Samuel 17, it's all there. Grand and glorious. How many of you have heard the story before? It's very famous. Even if you didn't grow up in church, you know about David. Sports guys write about it. Politics write about it. I mean, it's the most famous hero story ever. And uh, I just can't imagine just being there as a young man and God coming and whispering in my ear. Because I try to think about this. God comes and whispers in my ear, kill the giant, save the nation. You know, I, I, I mean, I would just be petrified at that thing. And, uh, but that's, the story's all there. And, you know, one of the, one of the things, I, I, mean, I love the details that the, the writer, so Samuel writes this down. He puts the details in the story. How many of you heard the, the theory of the five stones or the five stone theory? How many of you have heard some of the stories about the five? A couple of you? How many of you know there are five stones in the story? Okay, come on, don't lie. Don't, you know, you're just trying to impress me, you know, five, five stones. Uh, now, I'll tell you a little bit more later, but I, uh, I kind of accepted Christ and went to a Pentecostal church, and so they had an evangelist come in. He was doing the David and Goliath story, you know, and he got all, he just got all ramped up, you know, he just got all crazy, and it's like, you want to know why David picked up five stones, you know, and he's got into it, and, you know, spits flying everywhere, and I'm just on the edge of my seat, I'm like, oh, you know, and I'm, I'm a brand new Christian, so I have no idea, you want to know why David picked up five, he got really excited about that, and I'm like, no, no, I don't know, just in case Goliath had four other brothers. Like, oh my gosh, that is so cool. I had no idea how close that was to the truth. I just thought it was funny. I, I didn't know it was close to the truth. So I want you to flip over in your Bible because you're not going to believe me until you see it for yourself. I want you to go to 2 Samuel and I want you to end up in uh, 2 Samuel 21. Verse 15, I think I've got, hey, you're doing a good job keeping up there. There it is. Click again, kill the giant, save the nation. All right, there it is up on the screen. Once again, Philistines were uh, at war. There's a battle between the Philistines and Israel. David went down with his men to fight against the Philistines, and he became exhausted. So David was a warrior, and he's getting older. You know, when you get older, you get tired, you get exhausted. So he was exhausted. And it says in verse 16, And Ishbi ben Ab, one of the descendants of Rapha, whose bronze spearhead weighed 300 shekels and who was armed with a new sword, said that he would kill David. Now, when I was reading this, this was a few years back when I was reading this. How many of you kind of go through the, the Bible devotionally and you're reading along and, you know, you, you, you force your way through Leviticus, right? And then you... you you push through numbers, unless you're an accountant and all that stuff. John probably reads numbers, you know, business guy. 
But uh, how many of you have read through the Bible and you just look and it's like, hey, I've never seen that before. This is what happened in this verse right here, 2116. Because what happened is I look at that, I said, wait a second. Wait, wait, wait. I thought there was only one giant. You know, I, I didn't know. I thought there was only one giant in the Old Testament. And David fought him and that was it. One giant, it's over. So I read this verse and it's like, wait a second. No, no, there's, there's more giants. In fact, Samuel points out in this grouping of the scriptures, there's actually four more giants. Is that crazy? So right here, he says that Ishbi Benab comes around, and, you know, I'd like to say that Ishbi Benab is coming around because he had one thing on his mind. That one thing on his mind was what? It was revenge. So there, was more, there were more giants. And Samuel records this whole thing. I'm, I'm not going to damage this uh, mic stand, but I want to point it out. So, because it's all dramatic. It's right there. Because Ishbi Benab says that his uh, bronze spearhead weighed more than, you know, what, seven pounds? I don't, I don't know if this is seven pounds or not. And he's armed with a new sword, and I like to say that new sword was sharpened with revenge, and he's got the sword, and he's got this, this javelin. And the Bible says that he is just about to kill David. And so I like to think it's very dramatic, but I like to think, I mean, with this, you know, this spear raised up, he's just about to kill David. And I always, you know, I think in terms of sound effects and all this, like, oh, this is getting heavy. It's like, you know, he raises his spear and, and there's this moment where it's like, dun, dun, dun. Like, what is going to happen to our hero today as Ishbi Benab raises his spear to kill David? Do you feel it with me? Okay. You guys are just saying that and playing along. But. So can, can you... Like all great stories, can you put a bookmark right there? Can you put a place mark right there at that spot? So don't, don't wander off in the scriptures. Don't read ahead. Quit cheating. You do not know what happens. You do not know what happens. I want you to go back to the scene in 1 Samuel when David, as a young man, is walking out on this field. And there's this giant. There's this huge beast of a man. You know, I mean, he's gigantic and all that stuff. And I, I want you to, in your mind... I want you to pretend that you're the crowd, you're the guys, you're the brother, you're the army, you're sitting back here and you watch this young guy go out. You've got all the details in terms of he's got no armor on. You've got the details that he's got a sling because he was a shepherd. You've got all that. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to answer this question. What were you thinking the moment that David started walking out to approach that giant? What were you thinking at that moment? What were you thinking? He's gone. I like that. You know, I've had a lot of people, it's like, oh, I knew he'd do it. Okay. I look at it, it's like, oh, pfft. there's no way. I mean, come on. You got to picture this scene. There's no way. You know, I would be thinking, I, I really hope God's got a plan B here because plan A is obviously, it's, you know, it's over. And then the Bible says that what happened, he picked up the rock, he took that sling, that rock embedded into that giant and he killed Goliath that day. This magnificent, this heroic move because it was God's power. It was God's orchestrating this whole thing. I know all that. But David killed the giant. Now, you're the crowd. You're the guys waiting back in the wings. You've watched this whole scene take place. We were all doubters. We were all thinking, I don't think this is going to work out really well. But once David dropped the giant, what are you thinking now? Wow, 
Wow, right? Let me propose to you that there were at least four guys in that crowd. And these four guys said to themselves, oh my gosh, if David can kill a giant, maybe someday I can too. So David really started the first giant killers club. Right? That's the idea. It's a, it's a small little discipleship group. They get together. They talk about strategies and you know, how they're going to, like, when's my giant coming? I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I'm, when's my giant coming? And David's like, oh, yeah, 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 he'll come, he'll come. Don't worry. I, I, I want to, where's the giant? I want a giant. Started the first giant killers club. Then you say, well, that's just ridiculous. Oh, I don't know. I don't think it's ridiculous because in 2 Samuel, now go back to 2 Samuel 20, 21, 16, Ishbi Benav is coming in. He's got the spear, right? He's ready to plunge it into David's life and kill him. And what happens? What does the Bible say that happens? Well, what happens is that he says that Abishai steps up right there. Abishai steps up and kills the Philistine. See, what happens, really, the dynamic that takes place is that it takes one to show that it can be done. So I know the heroic scene, I understand the dynamics of all this, but I'm still thinking it took, it took David to show these guys that it is possible. Do you know how many records have been broken over time that people said, oh no, that's impossible, the, you know, the, whatever it is, the one minute mile. Sure, you've got, no, I know it's not one minute, but <laughs> you know, the, all these records, and, and what happens? Well, when somebody, when somebody makes that record, the first thing we want to do is what? We want to break that record. So the first one that goes is setting an example. They're setting a model. And I want you to reframe the, the story with uh, David and Goliath. I want you to understand that David had, he began to set up a model. The four guys said, well, if he can do it, look at this skinny little shepherd with no skills, all this stuff that goes on. If he can do it, if that guy can do it, maybe I can too. So he said, well, no, no, I don't know about that. Well, hit the, hit the screen. That was just one giant. You know, you're not really believing me, so that's one giant. Go to the next screen. Well, there's another giant. After this, there's another battle, another giant. So there it is. So uh, Sibachai kills Saf, another descendant of the giant. Kill, keep going. It's still another battle. Elhanan, son of Jer, killed the brother. of. So Goliath had a brother, right? Did you know that? I didn't know that. So there it is. Goliath had each other. That's another giant. This guy also had this cool thing. And then the fourth one, the fourth one's kind of hilarious because he didn't give, you know, he doesn't have a name, so Samuel gives him a description. He's a six-finger, six-toe guy. The first time you shake his hand, you never forget him, all right? <laughs> so this giant comes along, and I want you to understand, it says the son of David's brother, Shemiah. So this is David's nephew. So not only do we have these three guys that have said, well, if David can do it, someday I can too, you have you have some kind of family DNA. You have some kind of family model, model that says, well, my uncle did this. Maybe one day I can too. His own nephew steps up and kills a giant. So this is God's math. It's like, no, God, how many, how many giants did David kill in the field that day? Well, typically you'd look at it and say, well, he only killed one. Well, no, actually he killed five because he showed four guys how to do it. There is, there is a model here. Go on to the next screen and then hold it there. I think this is where, yeah. So um, my story, I'll give you the brief of the story and then kind of go into this a little bit. So I was uh, taken away from, uh, my mother was taken away from me at birth. I've got two moms and three dads. 
Never met my birth mother. My uh, birth father was into some kind of uh, uh, some kind of addictions back in the 60s, and so they gave me up for adoption at four years old. I get adopted into this family, and the family has got all kinds of problems going on. And my adopted father is an alcoholic, and his drinking just escalated horribly uh, until really it just completely destroyed our family. There was. There was violence and there was all this going on at home constantly. I don't know if you've ever been around an alcoholic, but uh, when he was a drunk, he was an angry drunk. So he was a Coors beer drinking, angry drunk. When he was sober, which was not often, he was the sweetest guy in the world. But when he was drunk, he was mean. And who did he take all that out on? He took it out on my adopted mother. And he took it out on my, my stepsister. And then eventually... That got to him, so when I was about 12 years old, that dad committed suicide, and he took his life. Then my mom, my adopted mom, waited around for a few years, uh, and then eventually married a guy I call Psychopath Ben. Okay, that's not his real name, but that's what I call him, because he was just an evil, manipulative man that was just highly abusive. So, to sum up my Jerry Springer life, <laughs> this is where I came from. Desperately searching, like I, I have no idea. I mean, pick a pick a topic. I have no idea about how to be a, a man, how to be a, a husband, how to be a father. I don't know about any of these things, except God sent some models along that were that were heroes to me. You know, heroes. They didn't even know. They didn't even understand because that's often how it is. They just did what they did. So I'm over at my friend's house. This is not his house. He didn't, you know, it didn't look at all like this fancy and all that. But I went over to my friend's house. I was, I was probably nine at this point. I go over to Frank's house and he said, hey, come over to my house for dinner. And he's got his sisters there and mom and dad. And I walk in and it's like, well, my gosh, this house, something's different about this house. Because as soon as I walk through the door, you think kids don't know this? I walk through the door and all of a sudden I feel safety. I feel safe. What's with that? I feel love, and I don't even understand how to define that. But I walk into the home, and I feel this. Because my home was nothing like that. My home had so much violence. It had so much darkness. It had so much chaos that I could clearly, even as a child, understand, wow, this feels different. So we go to the table, and we're eating dinner. And, and I was already impressed because, the, you know, his, uh, my, my friend Frank and his sisters, they weren't fighting. They were kind of talking very nice back and forth, and I loved that. But... What happened is that Frank's dad took a moment just before we ate, you know, and he, and he closed his eyes and he's bowed his head and he put his arms out like this. What do you think he was doing? Oh, okay. I didn't know, so I kept an eye open. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea what was going on. Frank's dad said a simple prayer over dinner. But in my life, you know what I said? It took a picture of that moment, and I said, you know what? I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen, but one day, one day, if I ever have a family, I'm going to do this. I'm going to pray over my, I'm going to pray over the meal with my kids. I wasn't a Christian. I wasn't, I really did not even know God. I, I, I wasn't there. I, all I knew is I saw this, and I'm like, yeah, I like that. It was a model. Come on, that's powerful. This is what happens when men and women stand up and they do what's right and they don't even understand it has wake. It has 
it has extensions that go out. It has these moments where like other people are watching like, oh, that's how things are supposed to do it. It only takes one to show that it can be done. And I, well, you know what? I did get married. I mean, this is a miracle in itself. There, proof, I brought my wife, you know, there's, I'm not lying. We had three kids. What do you think I did as a young father gathered around the dinner table? I prayed, but not just prayed. How do you think I prayed? Put out our arms and we hold hands. Every once in a while, our kids are now grown adults and they're married, thank God. And we, every once in a while, you know, I, I don't, we don't, we don't initiate it all the time, but a lot of times they'll do this even on their own. Like, reach out and hold hands and pray. Powerful. Eventually, about 15 and a half, I, uh, I was kind of forced to go to a youth retreat. There you go. There's a plug. Send these, send these students to camp, man, because um, that made a big difference in my life. So at 15 and a half, I accept Christ. I, I, I was struggling. I didn't know what was going on. I'm getting close to being over here. And um, anyways, on Saturday night of this uh, retreat, I get under a table, and I'm just, my head is spinning, and I, and I hear this voice. The voice says, if you give me your life, I will be your dad. And, you know, and I argued a little bit, but I broke. I'm like, I'm not worth much. I don't have anything, but my life is yours. And I surrendered my life to God. I surrendered my life to God. I eventually started dating this really cute girl from church. Because church should have cute girls. I'm, the, I'm sorry. I'm just, it's, a, it's an evangelism uh, program. It's not supposed to be, but it is. Started dating this really cute girl, and I had no idea. It's like, oh, she's the pastor's daughter. Wow, I was in some, I was in some trouble there with dating the, a street kid dating the pastor's daughter, right? It's SK and the PK, and it's just a crazy story. But eventually, the the uh, parents started inviting me over for, for you know to hang out at the house, and I was at the house, and uh, it was getting late. It was a school night. And so Robin's younger brother were kind of getting ready for bed. And, you know, it was really, it was really cute because Renee came down. That's her sister. She came down to her jammies. And, and she come, oh, like, oh, everybody say, oh, you know, she comes down in her jammies. And then pretty soon her brother makes his way down. And he's got his little cowboy jammies on, you know. I don't know what he had on. And they come down and they have this routine. And the routine is they go by and they kind of spend a few minutes with their mom. You know, she says some things with them and she probably prays with them. And then they go over to dad, and, and pretty much they, dad does the same thing. This is Robin's dad, you know. And I'm watching. I'm on the couch opposite of this, and I'm watching the whole scene. And you kind of have to understand, why would I be watching so intently of what is going on here? I'd never seen it before. And taking it all in. I'm watching family dynamics. And I don't know family dynamics, because I don't have that kind of family dynamics. But I'm watching because people that have come from places like I have, they watch everything that you do. And so I'm watching. So Ron makes his way over to his mom and, you know, and Thelma prays with him and talks to him. And then he makes his way over to his dad. Now I'm really, I'm really zoning in on this. I want to know what are the interactions with a good dad and his son. And so Frank talks to him, you know, and he prays with him. And then I hear Frank say to his son, I love you. And it hit 
it hit like a wave. Like, what was that? And then it just blew my mind because then Frank leaned over and kissed Ron on the forehead. He just gave him a kiss. I was in shock. I just sat there and just started taking it in. I was like, what was that? And it was such a shock that when I left Robin's house, I was in the driveway, and she was saying goodbye, and I'm getting ready to leave. And I was just feeling like, that's so weird. And I asked her, it's like, what? You know, and I tried to make it sound as weird as possible. Like, what, what, what was that? What was up with your dad? Like, saying, you're telling your brother you, he loves him. And, and what was your dad? He was kissing him. And I was like, what was that? Because I'm just confused about all this and wondering, what is that? And Robin says, oh, you know, he, he does that all the time. And a moment took place, a picture. And I said, you know what? I don't know. I don't know if, if, if I'm going to get married. I don't know if I'm going to have kids. But if I have kids and I have a boy, I'm going to kiss him. And I am going to love him. And you know what? We had three kids. Our firstborn was a boy. Our secondborn is a boy. And our third, thank God, is a daughter. <laughs> our future is secure. So here's your quiz question. So when we brought those little ones home from the hospital, I mean, David, even Matthew, little bundles, what do you think I did as a dad? Yeah. I kissed them. And I love them. I told them. I, I repeated what I had seen when a godly man had showed me how it's done. Because it, it takes a hero to show how it's done. And that's what happened. You know, I, I, I still kiss my sons. And our middle son is bigger than me. And he's bigger than me. And I, the, the funny thing is, you know, when Matthew hugs me, and I've said it a ton of times, but he still, I mean, the, the, the guy's grip is just amazing. It's like, don't break my ribs, you know. <laughs> And I can't reach his forehead, so I, I kiss his sweaty neck. <laughs> because it's, you know, that's just Matt. And, and I, I, kiss, I kiss my boys all the time. And I, obviously, I kiss my daughter every time I greet her. I kiss her on the top of the head or on her forehead. And she's pregnant right now, so she gets two or three kisses for, little, for you know, our, our grandbaby. And I am telling you, I am telling you, the heroic moment might not just be killing the giant, it's showing others how it's done. To be a hero, you are modeling. You are modeling what God has done in your life. You are modeling what is right. You are modeling what is good. And those that are so broken, like me, get to watch. And we get to say, oh, yes, now I get it. That's how it's done. Oh, thank you. That's how it's done. I would not underestimate how powerful those moments are. Take advantage of them. It takes somebody, it takes somebody to make that heroic act. So, in a way, I'm asking you, would you join the Giant Killers Club just by being godly and just by being kind and by being loving and just be really who God wants you to be? Would you do that? Stand with me this morning. Sometimes I talk about this subject, it brings up pain because 
Not everybody in the room had uh, great fathers. I completely understand that. I don't mean to, uh, I don't mean to poke a prod on that, but I want to kind of redirect it. I do want to reframe that, that God is good, and he is a good, good father. And his eye is on you, and he loves you so very much. And his care and his love for you will provide. I am a witness of that. There's two things that you can say about me. One is, it's like, my goodness, if this guy can pull off anything at all, maybe I can too. And the other one is of how good God is. Let's pray this morning. Father, I just thank you for these great folks, and thank you for John pastoring this amazing church. And I just ask God that you would, you would orchestrate our lives in a way that we have these, just these heroic moments all the time, whether it is uh, praying or whether it is uh, showing love to our wife or our husband or our children, and whether it is just being Jesus to a broken world. Because I know, God, there are, there are kids like me that are watching, and I know that, that you're using those moments to speak into their lives. I pray for this upcoming youth camp that's going on. I pray that there are tons of students that have no idea who you are and have no idea how good you are, but they would be, they'd be exposed to you and your grace and your love. Now go with us today, this morning, to go out, God, and to be a blessing to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.